Hello everyone, welcome to another episode of I'm Sotheby's Car Show. Indeed, it is episode five of the current season. And this week, uh, we've got a conversation with two of my colleagues, uh, Anders Billet and Will Smith. And we just thought we'd have a little bit of a chat about some of the cars that we think are maybe a bit underrated, perhaps even a few cars that we think are a bit overrated. But anyway, it's quite an interesting conversation. So uh, keep listening. We're going to tackle uh, a couple of different topics today. Me and my fellow guests have decided are quite interesting, and you might find them quite interesting as well, but there's no guarantee of that, of course. Uh, so I'm joined by Will Smith and Anders Billet. I've just been told how to say Anders' surname correctly, because I've been saying it wrong for about four years. Um, uh, and uh, we're going to discuss a couple of things. Talking of your name and pronunciation, so I'm going totally off topic already. I remember, <laughs> what, I remember watching Formula One with Murray Walker and forever he had just called Ayrton Senna, Ayrton Senna. And one race, he came on and started calling him Ayrton. And I was thinking, why is he doing that? <laughs> why is Murray Walker, he's been calling him Ayrton Senna for years, forever. forever. So obviously somebody put him right in the paddock. Clearly. Anyway, sorry, that was just a little, uh, little detour. So now, we happen to be recording this sitting in our London auction. And we're not going to talk about our London auction at all. But we are surrounded by quite a lot of different cars. Uh, of different eras, different age, you know, um, pre-war, and we, you know, right up to relatively vast uh, variety out there today. Yeah. Uh, vast vari variety. Out we there have. Today. I mean, yeah. I, I actually, you know, more more variety in age terms than we typically have in London, yes. which is great. But there are cars in this room and in the market which we all, you know, they're highly rated. Everyone, everyone wants one. Now it might be an F40. It might be a Gullwing, any number of cars. And some of those reputations are rightly justified, mm -hmm. you know, very hard to argue with. And then there are other cars which actually look quite good value for money. Uh, and why are they good value for money? Are they just not good cars? Are they not desirable? Why haven't they moved at the same rate in the market as some other cars? F40s is a great example, isn't it? I remember when I first got involved with RM, an F40 was 250 to 300 grand. For a long time, though, yeah. that price. Yeah. Now we've got a car for sale, uh, which we're hoping to get more like 2 million for. Yes. So what is it about the F40 that's suddenly taken it up? God knows how many, 100%. Yeah. Um, so, okay, look, let's just, let's just tackle that topic in a very general sense at the moment. Why are some cars and why have they over the past decade in particular? Why have they experienced such massive uplift in value? I think it, I think it has a lot to do with, with uh, well, it, essentially it comes down to who's buying at the time. Yeah. Uh, it, it, the people, the demography of pe people who were buying 10 years ago is different than those buying today. And, and, and it's, we, buy, we buy classic cars and collector cars. It, it's a passion. We, we, so it's what you, it's typically what you lusted after when you were a kid or maybe a, a young adult with not enough money to buy that dream car. Mm. And now X amount of years later, suddenly you do have that money. Yes. And, and, and then that's where the money goes. And of course, as that's a generation thing, it tends to sort of 
that one specific generation will largely agree on a number of cars. Mm. So there's certainly an increased interest in those and, and normal market forces, then the prices go up. Yeah. And equally, on the same side, they will be less interested in some other cars, which were maybe really popular 10 or 15 years ago. Mm. And then we see the prices on those dropping. That's sort of just really basic general. Okay, yeah. so the question for you then, Will, are the cars that we have seen big appreciation on yes um is that because they're good cars i think it helps <laughs> i think it really helps yeah. uh, you know in the case of the f40 which obviously we're using as an example here that is a car that does live up to its reputation you know we drove we both drove that car yeah. Uh, yeah when we did a video on it and it never disappoints that car you know it's always an event it's always slightly scary <laughs> you're mildly terrified of the thing going to because it's got a fearsome reputation. Yeah. When the turbo kicks in, it shoves you in the back harder than you think it's going to. Yeah. yeah. And as your Ferrari dealer once said to me, the reason why so many people crashed their 40s is they looked at all the gauges and all the gauges said temperature up to temperature, oil, yes, water, yes. But they only think about the tires. Yeah. And the tires are cold, but the yeah. rest of the car is warm yeah. and then it spits you off into a bush. But in the case of that F40, and answer to your question, I think that there is an intrinsic love of certain cars, like the F40, that live up to their reputation. And as a consequence, their prices have just gone stratospheric, double, in the case of the F40, doubled in the last five years. Um, is that surprising? I don't think it is surprising. And do I think there's room for them to continue to grow? I actually do, because when you think about my generation, 80s generation, Unlike the 70s. Um, Careful. Or, or 50s. Uh, <laughs> 50s? <laughs> no. Um, but, you know, my generation, if you think about it in, in career terms, has just started to get going in terms of making money, having disposable income. And, I, you know, there's another 20, 30 years of 70s, 80s children that are going to continue to make money and lust after those cars. So, yeah. So, so as you're now beginning to make money, you're, you're going to go for that MG Metro Turbo, aren't you? That's, I mean, my mum had an MG Metro. There you go. So that, you know, there you go. I'd go for a Maestro because that's oh. because they're so much more niche. But it can they? be something as yeah. silly as that. Like your mum had one, so yeah, therefore yeah. you want one. Or, you know, and you look at the prices of, you know, your average four-door Escorts at the moment. Mark yeah. one four-door Escorts, yeah. you know, minimum 20 grand when you could pick them up for two grand you know when i started with this well but i think you're right it, it, it is especially the cars that some have that iconic status for whatever reason yeah which usually goes back to what how they were perceived when they were new others have the fact that they are actually brilliant genius cars and then there are some that have both like the F40. Mm -hmm. And there are others. Well, and those are, of course, the ones that go stratospheric in value. But, okay, so let, let's talk about Ferraris. Um, and I know I'm, I'm on quite thin ice here in terms of we're, we're not going to start rubbishing the Ferrari market. But the, what, what we all know, and probably what most of the listeners appreciate as well, is that the Ferrari is a micro market all of its own. Yeah, and, yes. whatever, and whatever else has been going on in the market, if anything is going to buck a trend, it's going Correct. to be the Ferrari mark. Yes. Now, here's a question. I can't generically ask whether Ferraris are good cars or not, but do you think as, because they're all different, right? But do you think that there is almost an artificial cachet that is built around the brand that perhaps potentially it doesn't deserve? What, what, would, you say, what would you say about that? Yes and no. 
I mean, I'd say yes. I'd say I'd yeah. say 100% there is a cachet because is. the brand is so strong today. When you just look at the Prancing Horse badge, it mm. does something that doesn't happen with other brands. When I look at a Porsche badge, I go, oh, there's actually a horse on that badge. But you never think about that when you think of Porsche. When you see that horse and you see it on the steering wheel, specifically sitting in a Ferrari, it just does something that 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 is kind of hard to put your, point your finger at because it's a, an emotive feeling based on a brand that's been built and is very carefully managed yes. today by Ferrari. Yeah. yeah. You know, they sell more t-shirts and make more money out of brand selling their yeah, t-shirts and caps than they do selling cars. Yeah. And it's a very carefully controlled entity. It is, but let's get back to the nub of the question though. I mean, if, if you were to jump in to a, uh, I mean, I'm literally just going to have to pull up, pull an example. You you jump into a Testarossa. Yeah. Now, is objectively is that a great car? Well, I think it's a better car than most people actually yeah. uh, would would give it credit for. To look at, I think most people agree it's pretty cool. It's pretty obvious yeah. era. But yeah. to drive, it got a real tasting in the day. It like, did. People described it as a dog and and just crap to drive and I actually drove one recently on a rally going over a, a Swiss Alpine pass which sounds very romantic but bloody hell the thing was so planted and mm. neutral in the steering I couldn't really I couldn't really understand why there was such I, disdain for it I back think, in the day I think just my theory I think it's because people expected a hardcore race car for the street yeah. let's say like the F40 or the 288 GTO before it or whatever mm. which frankly the Testarossa is not it is, no. it is the Testarossa should probably be viewed more like a classic GT car yeah. that incidentally has its engine in the mid mounted yeah. rather than front mounted yeah. and if you view it as such it is truly a brilliant brilliant car yeah. but as a flat out hardcore race car that's allowed to drive on the street well, no, it probably does fail on that, but that was it was never intended for that either. So I, I think, think you're right. Maybe I think it's more a misconception yeah. from 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 the buying people, from the crowd, yeah. rather than it's a fault of the cars. Some of the other models, obviously, around that era were so good that I suspect it got overshadowed by, you know, the driving abilities of the F40 and the 288 and those sorts of cars. Yeah. Um, yeah. But I, as a GT, I agree, Anders. It's more of a GT car than a sports car. It looks like a really sporty, fun thing to, to tackle some corners with. But, you know, a 355 would run rings around it. But, it would. But on a long continental cruise with some Alpine passes, it's, it's a super capable car. So um, we're sort of talking, the, the topic here is, are, are certain cars overrated and perhaps some cars underrated? Yeah. Now, I'm guessing probably all three of us have driven a Ferrari Daytona. Now, a Daytona is, um, they're great cars. Mm. I'm not rubbishing the Daytona, but they're quite lorry-like. Um, I, I mean, no, nothing I say is going to stop anybody from buying a Daytona. No, no, so no, no, let, no. Let, let's just get that out of the way. But, you know, it, it's not, it's not a real, I don't find a Daytona a particularly relaxing place to sit. You're going to pay five to 600 grand for a good one. Mm. Now, Maserati Ghibli. A 4.9 SS Ghibli, direct I'm comparable to the Daytona okay. next day. A few less cylinders, but absolutely fast enough for most people. 
Yeah. Um, great looking car. Yeah. It's connoisseur's choice, you would say. I would say. And it's 180 grand. I think yeah. there are, I think, if I may, I think there are two aspects to what you're saying. I'm going to start by defending the Daytona. Mm. And then we'll get to point two afterwards. But yes, uh, value of a Daytona. It is quite bus-like, blah, 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 so on. You could go on forever. Equally, it's what? Quarter of the price of a 275. Mm. Uh, yeah. Which makes the Daytona look cheap to me. Yeah. Now, would I rather have a 275? Absolutely. Is it a four times better car? I'm not sure it is. No. So if you, it, it, and this is all about what you're comparing any individual car with. If you compare the Daytona with a 275, I think the Daytona is an absolute steal. Mm. On the flip side, I love your comparison with the Ghibli because as it is, I love Maseratis, classic Maseratis. Mm. And, and, and it's a pet peeve of mine to talk values on those because I think they are hugely underrated. The Ghibli and many of its, of its uh, siblings. Uh, the Ghibli, yes, I think, okay, it doesn't have a V12. And I think that's part of its problem in the market. Although, frankly, you know... It, it, I know what you're going to say. All, all, all you get with the Ferrari is 12 cylinders more of anxiety, isn't it? I mean, it, you, <laughs> Largely. You know, but, yeah. but in terms of, of, of status... Speaking as an and, owner. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. In terms of status and so on, everybody likes the V12, and, and, the, and the Ghibli doesn't have that. But it's, it's every bit as capable a car, yeah. despite having four cylinders less. But that's where we, we, we... Sorry to cut in there quickly. Go. That's where we were talking about the sort of bubble of the Ferrari market. You can't really make a logical comparison with a Maserati and a Ferrari because the Ferrari market is in its own weird little bubble, yeah. which is difficult to make logical comparisons to other cars, like the Ghibli, which, which on paper is a very, very comparable car. Yeah, which basically just means that you get a tonload of awesome classic GT car if you buy a classic Maserati. <laughs> yes. You do. But, I, I, but, I, but, but, but I don't disagree. I don't disagree. Be, be, be that a 3500 GT, we're going back into the 50s now, yeah. uh, or a Sebring or a Mistral. Yeah. Uh, Maybe controversial to sign, some don't like it. I happen to love the Mistral, it's my dream car. Mm. Uh, or if we go into the slightly newer where it gets the V8, the Ghibli, or even uh, even the Camzen, the Bora, whatever. Yeah. Um, I mean, you do just get a lot of pure, exotic Italian classic car for your money on a, in a Maserati. You do? But, you do, we are, you do. but we are funda what we are fundamentally saying is is that Maserati is underrated. Correct. It is. Yeah. Totally. So, I okay. Can All I give right. you an overrated car? You're going to give me one. I'm gonna, can I give you an overrated? Yeah, yeah. Go. DB5 Aston Martin. Oh. Because and a lot of my friends who sell them will yeah. kill me for this. But if you drive a standard DB5. It's very lorry-like, a bit like your description. Yeah, of, yeah, of, yeah. Of, I, I'm, I'm totally with you. Daytona. Yeah. Now that has a reputation that precedes it, and that explains probably why the values are so high for what 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 you're buying. Now prices have come down a bit in recent years. I drive a DB5. But you can be James Bond. Well, Shaking yeah, I mean, that's the illusion, isn't it? And that is honestly that is why. Otherwise, explain to me why a DB5 is so much more expensive than a DB4. Because it's not a better car. It's the same car. It's, it's obviously, it's, it's, it's film provenance and it's, it's, yeah. it's notoriety. Yeah. I mean, it is a thing, you know, you, you can covet a car. It could have been a picture on your wall or it could have been, you know, what, whatever it mm. is that, mm. about a particular car. And eventually, you know, you might have wanted one for 30 years. And it might be a 50-year-old car. And then one day you get to drive it. Yeah. And you get out and you think, mm. see, I don't. But I think it's 
how you approach that driving experience. He would have probably been testing and driving new cars. I'm guessing here. He would have probably, I mean, does a, does a newer car, does it brake better? Yes. Is it faster? Yes. Does it steer better? Probably. Is the comfort higher? Probably. You know, is a newer car a better car? Yes. Mm. But, but then for me, if I jump into a classic car, I'm not jumping into that classic car to have the best possible driving experience. I'm jumping in to have a, a nostalgic and, and um, time capsule time, moment. Yes, thank you. Time capsule moment. Well, yeah, I, I agree with you, but there are still, because we've been talking about it, that there are objectively good old cars and poor old cars sure. and, and you know pre-war cars you see um I, I think you can cut them a lot of slack because you know they might have cable operated brakes you yeah. know the steering mm. doesn't really feel connected to the front wheels and all the rest of it mm. but but that's just that's the charm in a way it, that is, is that is the charm you don't ex you actually don't get into a pre-war car often expecting too much of it yeah and you're normally pleasantly surprised yes and there is a lot of nostalgia and charm yeah i think can we caveat something quickly here? Go on then. Everything we're discussing is so subjective. It is. Because, Absolutely. Because this industry is glorious for its complete diversity of interests and tastes. So what appeals to some people in terms of, let's say, luxury cars and smooth, refined suspension and, you know, a, Bol a Bentley or a Rolls-Royce, right, has zero appeal to yeah. any of us because we, we like sportier driving cars, right? Mm -hmm. So what's cool is that pre-war has its own little area, section and devotees. And as does, you know, the hardcore aero downforce track day crowd, as opposed to the, the, the touring crowd who want to drive their DB5s and Lusos and Daytonas and things like that on rallies. It's just, it, there's, there's so much variety. It's quite hard to, to be objective in this no field of, it, of discussion. It's, it's impossible to be object. I mean, is a, um, let's find something from even the same era. Is a, uh, is, is a Bentley Turbo R a better car than a Ford RS 200? I would Which say is the better car. No. It's impossible because there's so But different. that's just because it's my opinion. Well, and, yeah. and, uh, but we like sportier things, I suppose. I have now twice driven from uh, Denmark to uh, Le Mans Classic in an Aston Martin DB6 Vantage. And uh, incidentally, I loved it. My father um, <laughs> had a, a, a pre-war 90, he had, an, he had a 1930 International, which in fact I inherited. I don't Is have it. A central accelerator pedal on those? No. Ah. No, conventional on, on, okay. on that. I don't think an International ever had a cent accelerator but I mean that, but that's a great not not very quick but that, that's a lovely little piece of kit yeah, yeah. yeah. Gr nice thing gr lovely pre-war car yeah. um, no I mean there's plenty of great Aston there is I mean um, the Aston Martin badge has a huge amount of cash yes I mean you're going to get a lot more kudos you know at a pub on a Sunday turning up in an Aston than you are in an AC yes yeah probably but yeah. I, but uh, I'd, I'd rather turn up in the AC yeah but yeah but I think it's also, again, we, we, we're generalizing, we did it with Ferrari, now we're doing it with Aston Martin. We're generalizing on the whole brand, which is, of course, not quite fair because mm. every brand will have cars that are brilliant and cars that are less so. Yeah, I mean, even uh, Ferrari, you know, we're surrounded by a number that I could name that are not, which are less brilliant. You know, yeah. they're, they're not yeah. that great to drive. They were a bit of a flop in the day. Yeah. They didn't sell that many of them and they're not that loved now, but they kind of have their place. Yeah. And, 
often those kind of cars find a home in the kind of quirky and kooky area of the classic car market or the buying market. I would largely say the same about a, a Aston Martin DB24. Um, it is a heavy old bus and it is, it was old fashioned even when they started production. Um, but in a quirky, weird way, it's got its charms and, I, and, I, and, I, and yeah. I'm not saying I, yeah, I, 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 I kind of like them in a way. Yeah. That said, I, I can't, when you say it's a heavy old bus, that, 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 I can't say anything. It is, you know, it, it, there's no arguing against that. You can modify them though, like any of these old things, <laughs> like you can make them better, can't you? Well, I mean, I've got a Series 3 Land Rover, love it, yeah. I really do love it. Probably the only car I've ever owned that my kids like as well, because yeah. they're not into cars, but they love that. Defenders are actually really overrated. <laughs> or, I mean, or, or Series Land Rovers. I mean, they, you know, they, they, because actually they're bloody awful. Yeah, on, terrible. On, on, by any sort of measure, terrible. they're absolutely terrible. But also but, brilliant. Yeah. In the same vein, yeah. right? Yeah. So you don't, you, but you don't judge a Defender in the same standards as you would drive, you know, a Porsche or an Aston Martin or a Ferrari. But I would still buy a classic Land Cruiser before I bought a Land Rover. There you go. I'm, I'm sat here in London. I'll, I'll, I'll now be murdered within the before I even oh, leave no. this place. But I would. I'd buy a Land Cruiser, an early one, classic one, a 40 series. I quite like the Toyota. Um, the little Toyota, um, um, come on, help me out here. I don't know. Not the Land Cruiser, the... Shogun. Oh, no, that's no, the, the What are you talking about? Um, the very, very early ones. Oh, and FJ. 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 Yeah, yeah. The FJ. FJ. Yeah, yeah. Land Cruiser as well. For the badge Land Cruiser yes. at the time. Yeah. And that's what I would so buy. Like, that's what I would buy instead of, a, instead of a Land Rover. But they're bloody expensive now. They've I come mean, up. you know, you, you don't want still to pick yeah. up Land Rovers quite reasonably. Yeah. yeah. Relatively reasonably. Yeah. Maybe they're expensive because they're a better car. Maybe. Well, maybe. They probably are by most <laughs> measures. But, but Land Cruiser is just so British. And so it's about utilitarianism with that car, isn't it? It's like that's the car that can do anything, it's classless. You know, you can't. Everyone, someone drives a Land Rover, they. They could be a farmer or a bazillionaire, and you can't tell. And that's kind of the appeal, isn't it? On, yeah. On, on yeah. Those yeah. It's also unbelievably slow, uh, uh, unbelievably uncomfortable. Uh, it's scary uh, at 40, uh, 50 uh, miles an hour. Freezing cold because it, it, the, the heater doesn't work. Um, and, you know, it's like, oh my, why am I, why do I own this? Yeah. Um, but why it, am I here? But they're, but they're great. Yeah. Um, Thank you for watching. I hope you enjoyed that little chat and uh, make sure that if you uh, want to watch on YouTube, uh, you can find us on the RM Sotheby's YouTube channel, uh, like and subscribe. And uh, if you prefer listening to the audio, you can find us in all the places where you find your podcasts. And uh, please join us next week for another episode.